Hello, my name is Lee Shellnut, and I'm the pastor of the Huntersville Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. That's a mouthful, so we affectionately know of ourselves as HARP. We at HARP welcome you to the podcast of our preaching and teaching ministry. We're grateful that you've joined us. If you're encouraged by what you hear, we'd love to have you subscribe. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we love sharing the glorious good news of the Lord Jesus Christ as we preach and teach through the pages of Holy Scripture. So join us now as we open up God's Word. This is the invitation. Amen. You may be seated. The texts for us this morning are a collection of verses. We've already heard from John, John chapter 15. I'll just repeat verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. And then I'd like for you to take your Bibles, if you would, and I would ask you to, if you've got a Bible to take it or a pew Bible. We've got some of the text there in the bulletin, but I'd like for you to have before you this morning Ephesians chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 5. We won't read, of course, all these verses, but I do want you to see the overall context. Let's notice, first of all, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Those verses are are directed to the church in its totality. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. And he's saying to walk in love, all of you. He talks more about what that love looks like in general in the church in the first half of chapter 5. In the second half of chapter 5, he moves from that sort of discussion, from the church at large, he moves to husbands and wives in the church and the love that they should have with one another. And then he moves from talking about husbands and wives in the church, he moves to discussing parents and children in the church. So let's pick up with chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents. Obey your mom. Obey your dad. Obey your parents, in the Lord. Obey your parents in the Lord. If your parents are calling you to do certain things that are appropriate and in keeping with God's Word in the Lord, you obey them. Obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. Parenthetically, this is the first commandment with promise. That is, children, this is the first commandment you're going to learn. This is the entryway into all the commandments. 
And not only is this the first one you're going to learn, not only is this one the first that you're going to know about in your home as a toddler growing up, it comes with this glorious promise that if by grace you obey, there will be blessings upon you, but the blessing won't merely be upon you, it will be upon your family and society as well. On your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And parents, you're not off the hook. God's talking to your children, but He's also talking to you. And He's talking to fathers particularly, but mothers, you're not off the hook either because what He says to fathers has application in your life. Notice what He says. Fathers, you got a bunch of authority, yield it any way you want to. No. Right? What's he say? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't needle them. Don't be so harsh that they never think they can make it. Please you. Don't provoke them with harshness, with a heavy list of burdens. Also, don't provoke them by shrugging your shoulders and acting like it doesn't really matter what you do. And exasperate them that way. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. Nurture them. In the discipline, this affects their wills, and instruction, it affects their mind, of the Lord. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. Christ is risen. Amen. And it's good to remind ourselves that Christ is risen, particularly when we look around us in the world we live in. It is a particular um, encouragement to know that life has entered into this world and that life is eternal life and that life is in Jesus Christ who lives now to make intercession for His people. We live in a dark world, particularly I think in the United States, we're becoming, becoming a much more dark place. And part of that darkness comes with this whole thing we call social media. Now don't kick it all aside because it can be used uh, in godly ways, in good ways to shine light into the darkness. But so much of social media is dark. And in the world of social media, there are these folks that are known as now, and this is you know, something I've kind of gotten used to hearing, influencers, right? Influencers. Influencers are the cool ones. Influencers are the ones that everyone follows. They've got thousands of followers, whether it's TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or whatever. They're the cool ones. They're the trendy ones. They're with it. And typically, they're worth a good chunk of change. And they're worth a good chunk of change because they've figured out how to make social media work for them through their own self-promotion. 
right? Typically, it's somebody who has power to affect their followers' purchasing decisions because of their purported authority, knowledge, their position, and their relationship with with their followers. Hey, this is a great product to buy. Don't you want to buy it? Because, hey, I like it. And don't you want to be trendy like me? Social media influencers. The size of their following depends on the popularity of their particular niche. Influencers in social media have built a reputation supposedly on their knowledge and their expertise on some particular topic. But some influencers, although they're purportedly uh, experts, aren't really. They aren't really. They can talk as if they are, particularly to their adoring fans. I listened to a podcast this week. Maybe some of you did as well. It's a mortification of spin. It comes out once, once a week uh, on Wednesdays, I believe it is. And they were talking about a, a very sad topic. They were talking about some of these influencers that have apostatized. They used to be known as Christians, and now they've rejected the faith. Uh, And their rejection of the faith can sometimes just seem to their followers to be weighty. Oh, they have have critiqued the church like nobody else ever has. Bonk. But these, these social media influencers who have apostatized, and some of them are pretty well known, can come across as if they know what they're talking about, but oftentimes they're intellectually sophomoric. And, of course, in it all, they are self-promoting. There were a couple of young men who had a, uh, a good following as Christians. They did kind of a comedy sort of thing, and they used to work with, uh, I believe, Campus Crusade for Christ, and they apostatize. And, and the one that this episode was specifically about was actually, it actually is the son of a very, very, very famous pastor. If I said his name, you'd know it. And he's, by the way, now very, very rich because he came up with a, a social media thing that he then sold. Made millions. And he now critiques or denounces his former faith and the faith of his parents. And he does it with just tripping with snark and hip profanity. And you just shake your head and you grieve. And you grieve particularly for his parents. What did they do to deserve this snark, this humiliation, this public denunciation of their fundamentalist faith of old. Just shake your hair. It's a nightmare for a believing parent. Believing parents, you you sense what I'm talking about. One of the things that you would hate the most would be for your child to turn away from the faith and make you out to be a fool. Right? Right? It's a nightmare scenario. And it's happening to a very, very famous pastor and his wife. 
And this can happen even within and out of the most obedient, the most faithful, and the most loving of homes. And ultimately, apart from the moving of God's gracious, sovereign spirit, all of our children would do this. All of our children would end up in the pigsty. Whether they realized it was a pigsty or not. Right? Apart from God's grace, this is the way of man. So what's needed? What do parents need? Does, do, do, realizing that this is the way of sinful man, do you just throw up your hand and say, well, okay, if that's what's going to happen, I just don't worry about it. No! What do parents need? What do Dustin and Katie need? What do the Krugers need? What do we need as Christian parents? What's needed? This is what's needed. The grace of God operating in and through our love. The grace of God operating in and through our love. A love that's birthed in love. A love that obeys. And a love that is in a family of love. Or let me put it in another way. What we need is love's origin, love's obedience, and love's orbit. Love's origin. Love's origin. Shakespeare, I usually, I usually talk about Macbeth. I'm not going to talk about Macbeth this morning. I'm going to talk about his delightful comedy, Much Ado About Nothing. If you're familiar with that comedy, you'll be familiar with a couple in this comedy. Benedict and Beatrice. Benedict and Beatrice. Benedict says, I'll never love a woman. I'll never get married. Beatrice says, why would I want to try to marry a clod of dirt? They both protest to despise the thought of marriage. They both protest that they're not too fond of the opposite sex. They have razor wit, and when they come into contact, they go to battle with one another, cutting one another down. And all their friends recognize what's going on. Because despite their uh, protests against love, something is going on and has gone on between them for years. But they act as if they don't want each other. They act as if they don't love one another. He's afraid of, of being embarrassed. If he, if he should if he should marry someone, that someone is eventually going to run around on him and shame him and embarrass him. She's afraid of being overmastered by a domineering man. But their friends know what's going on. And so their friends decide to deceive them, to pull tricks on them. And this is how they're going to do it. The men friends are going to get somewhere close to where Benedict is, and they're going to act as if they don't see him, and they're going to start having this conversation about him and Beatrice. And he's going to overhear them. The ladies are going to do the same thing with Beatrice. And in those conversations, this is what happens. The men began to talk about how arrogant 
Benedict is, how proud he is, and how cutting he has been to her. They tell him, he doesn't know that they're telling him this. He thinks he's overhearing something. They're telling him truth about himself. But they tell him something else. They say, well, despite the way he treats her, we don't understand it, she loves him. The ladies do the same sort of thing. Beatrice is off to the side. She thinks that she's just overhearing them. They're tricking her. They say, you know, Beatrice, she's just proud and arrogant. She's just too haughty at her words. They cut them to smithereens, to pieces. They tell her truth about herself, but then they tell her, and despite all that, he loves her. And by doing that, what Shakespeare is doing is he is, he is saying something biblically true and profound. To know that you're loved enables you to love. To know that you are loved enables you to respond in love. What did Jesus say in our text from John 15? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now abide in my love. In verse 16, he said, You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. If you went to John's first epistle in 1 John chapter 4, we have these famous words. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And here it is. We love because He first loved us. And then if we go to Ephesians 5, what did, it, what did Ephesians 5 start with? It started with these words. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. As children who are loved by Jesus Christ, by God the Father and Holy Spirit. As beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. Once you know of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for your soul, it liberates by the power of the Spirit your heart to love God. But not merely to love God, but to love what? Others. Others. Christian, want to love well? You all do, don't you? Want to love well? Meditate on how much you are loved by Jesus Christ. He laid down His life on the cross for you. And you know who you are, right? He loved you so much. They lived for you. And he died for you. He was buried for you. He's been resurrected for you. He's interceding for you even now. Meditate on how much you are loved. Now, that makes it so much easier not only to love Jesus in return, but to love that person seated beside you or in front of you or behind you 
or that one who is in your heart and your heart is breaking for them. That's love's origin. Notice love's obedience. Bob Dylan wrote the song. He sang it. I guess that's what you call Bob Dylan doing. He sang it. Billy Joel was the first to popularize it. Garth Brooks would do the same. And Adele has covered it as well. It's not Adele's song, okay? The song is... Make you feel my love. We're used to thinking about, hearing about, we're conditioned to think about feelings when we think about love. We want to have feelings of love, right? And as I've already said, you've got to first sense that you're loved, know that you're loved, and feel that you're loved. You need that. I get it. You need to know that you're beloved, right? But love isn't merely or exclusively a feeling, is it? It's not merely a feeling, it's thinking, but it's it's doing. It's obedience. Hear the words of Jesus again. He says in chapter 15 of John, Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Verse 12, he, he, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 14, he says, You are my friends if you do what I command. And verse 17, These things I command you so that you will Love one another. And Paul comes around and and says basically the same thing, doesn't he? He says, therefore be imitators of God and beloved as beloved children and walk in love. Love's not merely a feeling. It's obeying. It's obeying God. It's walking. It's doing. But doing what? Doing what? Seeking to serve others as Jesus served you. What is love? Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. If you are living for you, if you are living for you and your feelings in your relationships, and parents can do that, spouses can do that, children can do that. If you're living for you and your feelings, dear one, you're not loving. Simply put, if it's, if it's for you, if it's all about you, that's not love. That's not love. Assess your hearts. You say you love those seated around you and others? Do you? Or is it mainly about you? Love's origin. Love is obedience. And lastly, love's orbit. What does God call Christian children and parents to do? Back to Ephesians. Ephesians 6. 
Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for it's right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's something beautiful about Christianity. All kinds of beautiful things about Christianity. And particularly what Christianity does to relationships. Paul is writing into a Roman, Roman world. He is writing into a Roman culture. And in the Roman culture, children were property. You did with them as you wanted to do with them. The Roman father had the legal right to kill his child upon birth. He could do what he wanted. And Christianity steps into that world and it says these things. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is a beautiful picture, and that's what Christianity does for all of our relationships. It challenges the way of, ways of the world, and it shows us the way of Christ. It's a beautiful picture, but it's a hard picture. Children, I know, I've been there. It's hard to obey your parents sometimes, right? Right? It's hard. They can be numbskulls. They can say things that, that just doesn't make sense. And you just want to do you, right? <laughs> you just want to do what you want to do. And it's hard. I get it. Guess what? Your parents get it as well. They were in your shoes once. Obedience is hard. And fathers and mothers, I know it's hard not to provoke your children. You just get exasperated, don't you? I mean, how many times have I told you? <laughs> let, me, let me raise the volume and see if that works. It never does. You know? It's so hard not to provoke our children because we're sinners and they're sinners, right? Mothers, you know how hard it is to mother well, don't you? I don't want to give you a guilt trip today, this, your day. But it's hard, isn't it? Oh, at times it's just so easy. They coo and they look up and all like that. And then other times they're screaming bloody murder and you're about to pull your hair out. I just don't know if I can make it another moment. It's hard. Dustin and Katie, as loving and as adorable as Gentry is, and we had the opportunity to spend some time with them the other night, and Gentry warmed up to me and he climbed up into my lap and I didn't want to let him go. As loving and as adorable as Gentry is, there have probably already been times, no doubt, when you, when you realize this parenting thing is hard. And if you haven't experienced that, you will. And children, again, being a child isn't the easiest thing in the world. God knows how hard it is. So notice the context of these verses. These verses about parents and children, they come after verses about what? Husbands and wives. Okay, parents and children, the love that you're called to show in obedience and not provoking, it's going to be made much easier when the husband and the wife do what? Love one another. And love as Christ loves the church and as the church 
loves Christ. And husbands and wives, that's hard, isn't it? You ladies, you've got permission to say, shake your head. Yes, Pastor Lee, it is very hard. Notice the context of your verses. It's in the context of the what? The church. Children, you need loving parents. Husbands and wives, you need a loving church family. You need this wonderful orbit that we call the church for your love to operate in and for your love to grow. This is why we make vows as a congregation to aid and come alongside of parents in the Christian nurture of children. Because it's hard, and God knows it. And so He gives us, I don't want to use that old title of a book of a politician that you might not like. It takes not necessarily a village, it takes the church. And God gives us the church. But now notice church, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to love one another. And, and we're going to fail. We're going to fail Dustin and Katie. They're going to fail us. We're going to fail one another. And that's when that happens, we must remind ourselves that we abide in the vine. And even though we should fail, Gentry, Dustin and Katie, one another, Jesus Christ, the vine in which we abide, He never, He never, He never fails. He never fails us as a congregation. He never fails this family. He'll never fail Gentry. Let's not put our trust in how good of lovers we are. Let's put our trust in how good of a lover Jesus is. Let's pray. No man is an island. Lord, we know this truth. And we know that we need one another. We need, Father, we need the love of Christian brothers and sisters so that our marriages might be strengthened. We need our marriages strengthened so our children might be nurtured in a faith that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we need one another, but more than that, we need to abide in the vine. We need to abide in Jesus. And, and we won't abide in Him unless He holds us fast. So Lord Jesus Christ, hold Gentry fast. Hold Dustin and Katie fast. Hold all of us fast. None of us want to be Abraham Piper. Hold us. May we abide in Jesus. And for those who have wandered from the faith, oh gracious covenant Lord, we plead your covenant promises. Bring them back to yourself. And may we all walk together in humble love. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.